This is the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. My name is Sarah Jefford and I'm a surrogate and a surrogacy lawyer. In this episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Gail Pascoe, who is a mother through donor conception who used a sperm donor from the United States to conceive her daughter and later discovered that her daughter has over a hundred half-siblings around the world. Gail is now writing a book about her experiences and also as a guide for other parents through donor conception. Gail has a lot of advice for uh, people who are considering becoming donors or receiving donor eggs or sperm. I'm going to hand over now to Gail. Hi, my name's Gail, Gail Pascoe, and I have a daughter who is donor conceived and she's seven years old and I used a sperm donor from the US and discovered at some point a few years ago that she has a lot of siblings and now it's in excess of 100 siblings. So as a result, I started doing some research about four years ago into donor conception and was a bit shocked by what I discovered. Obviously, there's some very lovely stories out there and, of course, totally great whom I would otherwise not have heard. Um, but there are some fairly interesting and, and um, scary, really, things happening out there. This is, a lot of people I speak with call it the Wild West. Mm. So tell me, how did you get to the point of saying you were going to use a donor and then how did you look, or what options were there open to you for finding a donor? I was in a relationship and... And then my partner already had two children and I thought I could change his mind, which was fairly silly and I was unable to. So when I was about 40, I decided I would go and do this thing. So just in case I had some regret, you know, there was a very strong urge. So I did that and I put it out there to the world and said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. I was, you know, I was going to. And I had a number of friends offer to donate sperm to me. And I thought about that long and hard and decided that it was a bit too complicated. Um, that I didn't want to do it with a friend. Some of them wanted to do some parenting, some didn't. But no, it's, it's just too complicated. I think I'll go and do it myself. And I went to a particular clinic. And at the time in Victoria, single women and lesbians couldn't access IVF. So I went up to Sydney and I chose a donor with an international, with a US sperm bank they had a relationship with. It was unsuccessful and I went to Canberra to be around the third time I was. What was the process for you to choosing a donor through the international clinic? Yeah, it was, it was kind of um, interesting. It was a little bit like using a dating site, really. Um, and... So I sat with a girlfriend, but basically the clinic said, this is the sperm bank that we use. Go onto their website and select a donor. So I did that with a friend and we sat there together and had no idea what criteria we were going to use. <laughs> so we kind of fumbled through those. We went, <clears throat> worked out various criteria, came up with um, two donors. First one ended up not being available, so I chose the second. And then I had to pay the sperm bank in the US directly and then they shipped the sperm across to the Canberra IVF cycles through them. Although I was able to do some of the treatment down here, like most of the treatment, I could check in at a 
at a clinic of my choice down here to have the ultrasounds and blood tests done. And then I only had to go up to Canberra twice. What criteria did you look at when considering a donor? Well, I was, I was pretty ignorant about the whole thing. I did do some research, but most of the research was based around me. And since I've been doing a lot of research, I'm now big advocate for donor seek people. But at the time when I was making my choices, it was, um, first of all, I wanted to know that he had had a pregnancy previously. There's no point. No, it's, it's expensive. So there's no point paying a lot of money with someone who can't demonstrate fertility. Not um, very quickly. I wanted someone. The, the American sites give a lot of information, so they have often they'll have adult photos. Not always. This one had adult photos. Um, so I wanted somebody who looked uh, similar to me, features wise. Uh, but also, what did I choose? Um, I wanted someone who sounded like a good person. So he wrote a lovely little essay that was addressed to any potential children that he was going to have and explained why he wanted to be a donor, which was because his sister had used the bone He wanted to help people have families. And he wrote a lovely message to potential children about being the best they could be in life, sort of thing. It sounded like So uh, tell me, how did you then find out that he had in fact assisted so many people across, uh, across the world and how many donor-conceived children there were? Yeah, I found out by getting onto an independent website called the Donor Sibling Registry, and they are primarily about connecting families worldwide, uh, all parties, so donors, donor-conceived siblings and recipients. And when I first went on there, so you put in your donor number, and then anybody else who's interested in connecting will have already registered on there, and you'll get a, a, mess, a message from them, um, or you can make contact with them. So I found out initially that there was a handful of people and then it sort of got up to about 35 and now it's uh, 100 plus. So the number of us, about 30, 35 of us, have a secret Facebook where we share photos and stories and interesting medical idiosyncrasies which potentially point back to the donor. So in that regard as well. And how, how did it feel to find out that there were so many donor siblings out there? Yeah, well, when I first found out there was 35, I almost fell off the chair. I thought that was just insane. And time I remember thinking, oh, it really reduces this um, feeling of the whole thing being special. And then I sat with that for a while and realised, well, there's no point in feeling that way. So, all right, well, I'm just going to embrace this. Um, and then as more and more children popped up, um, you know, while I appreciate that, like me, it's helped people um, create a family that they may not otherwise have been able to do, I started getting a bit angry about it. And in a similar way, the women on or the families, not the women, families on our group also expressed in many cases that they feel angry feel wide to because what happened was the sperm bank originally had a 20 family limit but while there are limits in australia in each state either five or ten sperm banks have a worldwide limit um it's not really policed if you like by any australian clinics so it's about out of control 
But then they upped the sperm bank up the ante to 40 families, and now they've up the ante to 60 families. They don't police it anyway, so they leave 100% onus on donor recipients checking as to whether they've had a birth or not. So in terms of what the donor has done, um, presumably he's gone to a clinic and said, I'd like to be a sperm donor. Does that mean he's also he's then gone to other clinics and continued to donate, or is he he's remained in contact just with the, the one sperm bank? Well, that is a good question. Um, there's certainly nothing stopping anybody in the US from doing that. And it does happen a lot. According to some information I read on the Donor Sibling Registry, about 23 to 27% of sperm donors donate more than one clinic. And there are dozens of them within each, you know, some states have maybe five sperm banks, so they don't have to go far. And they don't communicate with each other necessarily, sperm banks, so they can get away with that. Whether or not this donor has, or not, I don't know. But he obviously would have donated for quite a long time consistently in order to create that many children. It would have been like unsuccessful uh, attempts at conception of those people and to have that many successful attempts. Uh, what are your expectations going forward in terms of your daughter having contact with donor-conceived siblings? Well, we do have contact with some of the ones that live in Australia. So we've contacted um, two in Victoria. We just met another one last week in Canberra, which is lovely. And we hooked up with another one who we'd already met in Canberra. And we've met some from Darwin. And we communicate with some from Brisbane. But I absolutely want her to have all the information that she possibly can. So I've got a, got a spreadsheet, I'll get her CD. <laughs> and then she can make that decision with all the information that I can give to her. And what information have you given her so far? Because she's seven now, isn't she? I have given her photos of the donor and talked about him. I've got a little book. Uh, it's a children's book that somebody wrote. I can't remember who wrote the book. Um, and I've added to as well. I've written a book with some more information about him. So uh, she can see his photos anyway, but I've given height, eye colour. That's what we've talked about, eye colour. Um, and talked a bit about his family, what he shared about his family. And when we talk about all of the siblings that she's got out there. And she's at this stage now where previously she used to sort of tell people, oh, you know, I've got 100 brothers and 100 sisters. And people would go, what? Children. They'd sort of look at me and go, oh, she ought to know. Um, but now she sometimes can't be really talking about it. So I've. You know, we talk about language and that she can, and in my research with all these donor consenting adults, they've very much expressed the fact that you need to allow your child to open up to whatever conversation they need to have. So, and that especially that even if they were conceived out of such deep love that you know, you've gone to this immense effort to have them, they still, that's not a guarantee that they're not going to experience grief or trauma or some, you know, difficult emotion related to their conception. So that's been a really big eye-opener for me and I just allow her to say whatever she needs to say. And she has been expressive. She wants to meet the donor and, of course, I can't promise that. So I just say, well, we can try and make that happen. But there's a lot of kids out there, so that may be having a big impact on him and his family. 
is another element to consider. Do you have contact or details of who the donor is? Yes. <laughs> um, we have identified him, but nobody has contacted him. When we have photos and we have a name. Um, he, he said who he was in his, we've got an audio file. And he said his name in the audio file. Um, to my knowledge, nobody's contacted him. Somebody may have. Um, nobody in our group has expressed that they have. Somebody who's not in our group may have attempted to contact him. I'm not sure. We're not supposed to contact him to children, rather. We're not supposed to contact him until we're 18. But I'm a bit on the fence with that. Um, uh, there's a lot of donor conceived people out there who do contact the donor before the kids are 18, and they've some stories have been uh, not so promising, not, not so positive, rather. Other stories have been really, really beautiful, where the donor wasn't sure he was going to encroach, or she, whether they were going to encroach on um, people's lives. So they were just sitting there waiting. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of an unknown. It's a risky thing, I guess. Um, they might head for the hills for everybody else. But so you've now got a website, and I understand you're writing a book. Can you tell us a bit about how that um, happened? Yes. So I started when when I discovered I think when it started getting around the seventy or eighty mark, kids. I thought, you know, I'm going to do some research into this. So well, originally I was going to write a memoir, and then I realised there's a few memoirs out there which are interesting to read. Um, I thought what I really need to write is a how-to. So what I'm writing is this non-fiction, end-to-end, how to choose a donor. And originally it was just about choosing a donor. Then I realised, well, that's quite limiting because it's not just about conception, it's about what happens after as well. This child that you bring into the world really needs ongoing conversation about their conception and they need to be able to talk about it. So my, my book, which I'm hoping to do, finish this year, is, um, covers off the different types of donors, uh, sperm donors, egg donors, embryo donors, and all the different types. So whether you use a known donor, clinical recruited, international donor, and so on. Benefits and risks of each, and the method in which it is go through. Um, it's a chapter on laws, um, which of course are different as you know very well, different in each state, and some don't actually have state legislation. Um, Chapter on donors, why people donate, what the process is to donate. Then there's uh, information on how to connect. So all of your voluntary and um, central registers, how they work, and in the absence of those, how fertility clinics have to take up that role. And, yeah, everything. So an end-to-end. -end, and then, of course, how to, how to talk to your children, age-appropriate uh, language to use, potential issues that may come up, come up from, with your donor conceived child and they express. I mean, some, some donor conceived people have absolutely no issue with being donor conceived um, and that's great. There are people that have a lot of trauma and grief and I think we can learn from them and try to, try to minimise or get rid of that, you know, minimise probably, that trauma in the next generation of donor conceived people. But, yeah, I've got a website, donorconceptionandbeyond.com.au and on there I blog regularly about various issues uh, with donor conception, choosing a donor, things you need to consider, stories from donor conceived people and recipients. If you were talking to somebody that was considering using a donor, what would your first piece of advice be? 
advice would be definitely to um, educate yourself. Probably the one thing that I didn't do, because I was ignorant at the time, was to consider every single decision that you made. Ask yourself, how is that going to impact my child? So, um, first of all, if well, getting yourself tested, um, if you're going to use a known donor in particular, um, making sure that you understand who your donor is, if they've been here before, if they have their own family, if their family is actually agreeable, partner, uh, they intend to have many more kids, um, they're going to have 100 kids, I'd definitely move away from that. Um, if you are going to do that, obviously draw up a legal agreement. Um, if you're using a clinic, understand what the clinic is offering. Um, do lots of comparisons. Re really do a lot of education. There's so many groups out there that you can go to before you even choose a donor. You can even find out a bit about don your potential donor before you choose him or her. So it's not great to ask questions. You use that donor before, before you make a decision. But really, really, I guess the crux of it is to understand just how how your decisions are going to influence your child. And then at some point, it's going to stop becoming about you, the recipient, and it's going to become your child. Thank you for listening to the Australian Surrogacy Podcast. If you would like to find out more information about surrogacy, you can have a look at my website at sarahjefford.com. You can also find me on Facebook and on Instagram, and you can listen to more podcasts on the website or on Apple Podcasts.